Well, John chapter 16, as I mentioned, is going to be our sermon text. Um, we will pick up in the second part of verse 4. It's 4b, I called it. You may see a, a heading that separates verse 4 in the middle of it. it. The words will be here on the screen. If you've been with us, you know that we're... Um, we're just getting into a little side series on the Holy Spirit, so this is the second message. My apologies, by the way, to uh, those who heard me say the week before last, um, next week, next week, next week, several times, when um, it turned out next week was, was Mission Sunday. So you, you, you picked up on that probably, and you were gracious to me. Um, but I said, next week I'm going to be preaching this, that, or the other, and I wasn't intending to preach at all last week. And... Um, so if you came back last week expecting that, I, my apologies to you. Let me say, in case I mess it up again this morning, next week I'm not preaching either. Next week it's a Poland mission report, and so the following week will be, we'll resume that series on the Holy Spirit and continue by the grace of God uninterrupted for some period of time. That's the plan. I've titled this message this morning, The Holy Spirit and Truth. And so we'll look at... Uh, John 16, verses 4b through 15. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word, reverence toward him and attentiveness to his voice. Listen to the word of the Lord. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment. Because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do, we do thank you now, as always, for your word. And we open it with the belief that it is living and powerful and active. And with the belief that you have something to say to us in it. Lord, you do know every heart represented in this room today and even online. You know every life and what confronts us now and later. You know what it is we need to hear. So we open our ears and hearts to you and ask that you would speak, O oh Lord, your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory and our good. God, move me out of the way and use my voice is your instrument this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
<clears throat> a few weeks ago, we, we, we sang a song called Show Your Power, not unlike the one we just sang with a, a phrase that says, uh, show us your glory. But I, I, I thought a few weeks ago when we sang that song, it occurred to me that in a church like ours, there are some people who would sing that song enthusiastically and earnestly. Yes, Lord, show us your power. And there are others who might be thinking, whoa. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but I'm not sure. Maybe not just yet, but hold, put the brakes on it or whatever, downshift into a lower gear. There, in other words, there's some hesitancy on the part of some in singing a song like that. I, by the way, I didn't spot anybody in either of those camps necessarily. The thought just occurred to me. Um, again, in a congregation like ours, you've got, you've got some at, at uh, different ends of the spectrum there. Um, and those who hesitate, for some of those, it may be because there's a concern not so much about what the Holy Spirit would do if he really shows his power, but what some people might do and sort of running away with things and things might get a little weird. And um, the reason some people think that is because sometimes things get a little weird. Uh, and, and that may be individuals' discomfort with the way the Holy Spirit works. He doesn't fit into our boxes. He doesn't you know, play by our rules necessarily and that sort of thing. And that may just be just human discomfort with feeling out of control in, of things. But another case it is, is because people just get weird sometimes. And there are people who just sort of run away with it when it comes to just a, a, a license. They think the crazier it is, the more evidence it is that the Holy Spirit's at work. Um, by the way, if I'm making you uncomfortable starting out this way, that's part of my intention. Uh, to say, you know what, we need to acknowledge a reality here because we want to be a congregation that is open to the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to be able to say, show us your power. We ought, as the people of God, to be able to say, show us your power. And yet, we need to recognize um, some of the, the faults and foibles that come along with that and, uh, and, and, and try to, rather than having people pulling hard in opposite directions because afraid of where things might go, that we sort of move together with open hands toward him and what he might be ready and willing to do. We have to have our expectations then of how the Holy Spirit works. We have to have our expectations set by the scriptures. And we have to have our experiences or alleged experiences with the Holy Spirit regulated by the scriptures. Our expectations need to be set by the scriptures. And our experiences need to be regulated by the scriptures, bounded by the scriptures. And so in this passage this morning from, from John 16, I really want to try to make a single point. I've set the bar low. I just, just want to make one point. Um, and it's this, that every authentic work of the Holy Spirit will be consistent 
with the truth he has already revealed in the scriptures. If it's really a work of the Holy Spirit, it's going to be consistent with what he, the spirit of truth, has already revealed in the scriptures. Now, hopefully that point uh, makes a point right by itself. So as I say from time to time, if I confuse everything else from here on out, at least you know that was what I was aiming for. Perhaps you could chase that down on its own. But in the first message in this series um, a couple of weeks ago in John 14, we, we had sort of an introduction to the Holy Spirit from Jesus himself. And we, we considered the fact that he is a person, not a force, right? And that, number two, he's another helper like Jesus. Jesus said, I will, I'm going to go away, but I will send you another helper. And so he comes to help us as the people of God, as followers of Christ. He comes, the Holy Spirit comes to help us in many of the ways that Jesus was present to help his disciples when he was uh, physically present with them on, on earth. So he's, he's a helper like Jesus, but he's not identical to Jesus. He's not the same as, uh, there is, he's a distinct person, and we, uh, we considered that briefly there as well. But here in John 16, we learn something else about the person of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells us that he is called the Spirit of Truth. And, and again, I'll say I, I, wanted to, I wanted to sort of lay this down at the outset as an essential that if we're going to really walk in the freedom of the power of the Holy Spirit, open to the work of the Holy Spirit, um, we need to know how all of that expectation and experience is grounded in the truth because he is the spirit of truth. Well, let's look just briefly at what the text says, um, that Jesus says about what the spirit of truth will do. When he comes, what is it that he will do? It says in verses 8 through 11, he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the couple of verses that follow from that are actually uh, a little bit confusing or veiled and, and even Bible scholars aren't really entirely sure what to make of all of that. But what, what does seem clear is that the Holy Spirit, part of the Holy Spirit's work is to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. As I prayed earlier, we live in a world that has turned sin and righteousness absolutely upside down. Right? That what is sin is called righteous, what is righteousness is called sin. Uh, I maybe have, have referenced this in uh, you know, recent months or whatever, but I had a conversation with somebody about this not too long ago, about remembering years ago, hearing you know, the, the scripture reference that said, you know, the, the, essentially the time will come when evil is called good and good is called evil. And like we believed that, but had a hard time imagining what that would actually look like. You understand what I mean? Like you, you just accept that it's true because the Bible says it, but like how could it really ever get that bad where evil is called good and good is called evil? And we're not, we don't have to imagine it anymore because we're there. And um, we might tremble at the thought that when a society gets to the point 
where it calls evil good and good evil. Uh, where there is no conviction of sin whatsoever. That among other things, that's evidence uh, of the Holy Spirit's withdrawal, if you will, the inactivity of the Holy Spirit in convicting the world of sin. And not any surprise that that would be the case because Romans 1 says that when a culture, a society uh, exchanges the truth of God for a lie and worships the creature, creature rather than the creator, um, that he'll just turn, that the point comes where God just turns them over to their depraved mind, to the consequences of their own sin. And so part of what we see happening uh, is a world that has, again, a, a country that has for so long walked in the favor of God, in the grace of God, that had his favor more than we ever really realized, are now beginning to feel what it feels like, to see what it looks like when his active presence of convicting people of sin and granting repentance begins to be removed. That's a little bit of an aside there, and I'm, I don't have time to lay, belabor that point this morning, but that's part of the work that the Holy Spirit comes to do. That, that when people come to saving faith in Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit has been at work. You see, the, the, the gospel, gospel proclamation is the means God uses to do that. But it is not our persuasiveness, our charisma. Thank God on both accounts for that. But it's, it's, it's not our sort of contrivances. Um, it, is, it is the work of the Holy Spirit that brings about conviction of sin. That's one of the things it says here in the text that the Holy Spirit will do. It says in verse 13, he'll de declare the things that are to come. Verse 14, it says he'll glorify Jesus. One of the ways that we can evaluate uh, whether it, some work is legitimately a work of the Holy Spirit is if Jesus is glorified by it. And then it says also in verse 13, he will guide the disciples into all the truth. That's, uh, that's sort of the point I want to highlight here this morning of all the things that he says here. That when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. John 14 actually had a similar reference to this. Uh, John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And so that, this anticipates two really specific and significant activities of the Holy Spirit. That when Jesus was saying this to his disciples, uh, uh, two things are in view. It's, it's probably more than two things, but two really significant things are in view. One would be the inspiration of the New Testament, okay? The, the Holy Spirit's divine inspiration of the writers of Scripture to write the Scriptures, to write the New Testament. That he's saying to the apostles, I will the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So when, so when, they, when, it, when the time comes for them to write down all that Jesus has taught, 
they will be guided by the Holy Spirit. So what they write down are the very words of God. Did that make sense? Okay, so the, the, the Holy Spirit's work in bringing to remembrance all the things Jesus taught them anticipates the inspiration of the scriptures. And it says, of course, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Uh, God breathed, breathed out by God. It's translated in a number of ways. But the other thing that it anticipates in a, in a uh, maybe a little bit more uh, as kind of an aside or whatever, is the illumination of the scriptures. These are the words that are kind of usually used in theological circles. The inspiration of the scriptures and illumination of the scriptures. That is to say, you and I as followers of Jesus aren't writing any more scriptures. If you think you are, you should put it away. Actually, you should burn it probably. But uh, We aren't writing scriptures, but as we read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit illuminates our understanding of it. Many of us could share the experience we had at some point along the way where we read the scriptures, we had tried to read the scriptures, opened them up and closed it as fast as we opened it because it didn't make any sense. And we come to know the Lord, walk with him and grow in our relationship with him. And he just gives us understanding of the scriptures that we didn't have before. Not some secret insight like Da Vinci Code or something. I mean, not, it's not far out or anything. It's simply just understanding the plain meaning of Scripture because when we walked in darkness, our understanding is veiled. And part of the, the way the Holy Spirit continues to guide the disciples of Jesus into the truth is by illuminating our understanding of the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 2 uh, verses 13 and 14 probably speak to that more directly when it says that the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him because spiritual things are spiritually understood or spiritually appraised. Again, this is the, the, this is the work of the Holy Spirit and given understanding to that. So what he, as, as Jesus says this about the work of the Holy Spirit, there's a lot more here than just this point, but as I said, I'm trying to ground us in one absolutely critical point as we move forward in this series. And, 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 and that is that um, he's gonna inspire, the Holy Spirit's going to inspire the Scriptures and then illuminate our understanding of the Scriptures. Because the Holy Spirit, who is God, cannot lie. I want you to try to follow the train of thought here. Okay, because if the spirit of truth is the person of the Trinity who gave us the scriptures, we have in black and white what he has said. Okay? Track with me. I know it's early. He cannot lie. It is impossible for him to lie. There are things that God cannot do, cannot lie, cannot change, cannot fail. There are other cannots. He cannot lie, which means that anything contrary to this book is not from the Holy Spirit. Did all that make sense to you? Do you follow the train of thought there? Anything anybody claims the Holy Spirit did 
that contradicts the Word of God was not the Holy Spirit. Anything somebody says the Holy Spirit said that contradicts the Word of God was not the Holy Spirit. If you're tracking with me, say amen. Okay. Because this is really the absolutely essential point. If he is the spirit of truth, then everything he, everything he says and does after this is recorded is going to be consistent with what he's already said. You know, I, I uh, maybe will get ahead of myself a, a little bit here, but I, um, I say from time to time, I don't have a whole lot of interest in uh, listening to some people sometimes tell me what the Holy Spirit told them personally when I know they don't seem to understand what he already said to all of us corporately. I mean, when they, when they, when they are ignorant of the Bible and or, um, you know, give really wild interpretations of it that nobody else in history gave of it. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in what they're telling me the Holy Spirit said to them in their shower or wherever they were. Because he cannot lie. And everything he does and says is going to be consistent with that. So we claim, you know, as evangelicals to believe in the authority of Scripture but are prone to turn constantly to other voices. And let me say here, I realize, uh, number one, that the point I am making this morning is a very basic and fundamental one. I'm doing that on purpose. The reason I wanted to, to single out just one point to make was because it's a really important point uh, and, and because it's essential that we have this laid down as we, as we embark on the rest of this study. But I realize it's a basic point and one that some people would say, oh my goodness, are we going here again? I mean, this is so fundamental. Does this really need to be said? And yes, it does need to be said over and over and over because even for people who claim that we believe in the authority of Scripture, we are prone to turn to other voices and give them more authority than they deserve. We actually conform to other voices of authority all the time. And there are, uh, there are ways in which, you know, people will, will give authority, um, I was going to say, to sort of supernatural manifestations themselves or to the voices of people who um, maybe have, have seen miracles in their uh, life or in their ministry or that kind of thing. But, um, so, in other words, they say, well, th this person's really seeing uh, miracles performed, and so uh, I believe whatever he has to say. I'm maybe overstating the issue a little bit, but m maybe you've talked to people who, who sort of conduct themselves that way, that they, 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 give, they give a listening ear entirely to somebody based on um, supernatural works that go on in somebody's life or ministry. But supernatural manifestations by themselves are no, are, they're not sufficient evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence and work. In some cases, not even evidence at all. 
And that, that sounds a little uh, maybe outrageous or sounds like an overstatement, but I want to go to, verse, uh, to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. I've taken us here a time or two in, in relationship to other passages of Scripture, but I want you to see this. And um, I've underlined a couple of words. That these are my underlines, not, not Jesus's. He didn't underline it in the text or whatever. But here's what Jesus, here's what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think that is a sobering verse, or ver passage. And I think we ought to be more sobered and humbled by it. Because let me ask you this question. We'll do a little pop quiz, boys and girls. Who is it? That Jesus says, he will say, tell later, depart from me, I never knew you. Is it people who are seeing a great absence of miracles in their ministry? Or is he referring to people who are seeing lots of miracles and supernatural manifestations in their ministry? It's the latter, isn't it? Now, don't misunderstand me. That does not mean, it does not make any kind of generalization about people who either do or do not uh, see miracles happening in their, in their ministry. It's certainly not um, intended to raise any sort of suspicion about the miraculous. In fact, quite the contrary, we're going there. That's where this series is going to take us. But it is to say, uh, because, listen, friends, you know, I, I have, I grew up in charismatic circles. I've, I've uh, been there, okay? I'm not, I'm not speaking as an outsider here, and I've seen and heard a lot of the kind of stuff that I'm touching in this series. And the reason I know um, where the ditches are is because I've seen people wreck in them. I've seen churches wrecked in them. I just dived in them myself. Didn't fall in, just jumped in. And see, there are, there are people who will say, um, and in so many words, that because of signs and wonders, essentially, that that authenticates somebody's ministry, and they will follow, they'll chase them all over the a country all over the globe, they'll listen to whatever they say. They'll be quoting them as if they were an apostle. And I'm really not even overstating the issue there. I'm really not overstating the issue. And what I'm saying is, Jesus, Jesus gives us reason uh, not to assign too much credit to any person or ministry simply because 
of the signs and wonders. Because he's saying there are people on that day who will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? This isn't pagans doing pagan miracles. And so the manifestations do not speak with authority. The word of God does. And here's another way of, here's another way of saying that. The scripture uh, given to us by the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit himself, right? The scripture becomes a standard by, of measure by which we interpret the manifestations. The manifestation does not come the measure by which we reinterpret the scripture. The scripture is the standard of measure by which we interpret manifestations. I'm using the term generally. Whatever it is that is, uh, appears to be the work of the Holy Spirit, is claimed to be the work of the Holy Spirit, may be the work of the Holy Spirit. The scripture becomes the measuring device by which that is interpreted. The, the miracles and the manifestations do not become the measuring device by which the scriptures are interpreted or reinterpreted. But it happens far too often. And so if you, don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you've never seen or experienced that yourself, you just write it down and, and be sure that's somewhere accessible to you as we move along so we are aware of this, of this very fact because I'll go back to where I started, you know, when uh, uh, I'm sort of making, making it up, but when I say we, we sing a song like... Uh, show your power, and some people are going, yes, Lord, show your power, and some people are going, I'm not so sure. Um, the, the, the way that we can avoid the stalemate that comes from the enthusiasm and maybe over-enthusiasm on one hand and the hesitancy or fear on the other hand, the way that you can overcome that and, and move forward together with an openness to the Holy Spirit, with great expectation of how he's going to work. The, the way that you can move forward as a people of God uh, without waiting around, you know, without the, the next crash in the ditch awaiting you around the corner, the way you move forward there is to ground all of that in the truth of the scriptures. Now, if, we, if we're adding lots of footnotes to this message, and if it needs to be said, you and I also know plenty of churches, preachers, ministries, and so forth that know the Bible well and don't have any place for the Holy Spirit at all. Right? That they've, 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 they've laid it down so tight in the way that they interpret the Scriptures there's no room for the Holy Spirit at all. I'm not talking about that. That is not us, and that's not where we're going. But, but the, the work of the Holy Spirit has to be consistent with the truth that the Holy Spirit has already revealed. It is impossible for it to be otherwise because he cannot lie. He cannot contradict himself. You know, I was thinking about how this challenge that I'm speaking to has been around for as long as the church has been around. Even as the New Testament was being written, certainly in the century that followed, 
there were, there were already people who were so enthralled by um, special knowledge from the Holy Spirit or from some other spirits. But Gnosticism is one of the words you may have heard before just about and people who believe that there's this special knowledge you have to be given to understand you know, certain things or whatever. Um, that, the, the church was contesting that immediately. In fact, it's a persistent heresy. It continues to just take new forms. Just about every generation, it's always present. But people who would rather hear some special word, some special revelation, some special knowledge, supposedly from the Holy Spirit, than they would uh, the, the plain word of God. That's been a challenge for as long as the church has been around. I ran across this uh, little excerpt this week from Martin Luther's last sermon, and I'm going to close on this thought. Martin Luther, you know, was sort of the catalyst that really the, the, lit the fuse on the Reformation when he posted the 95 Theses in 1517. And one of his great contributions, one of the great contributions of the Reformation was the recovery of the gospel and the elevation of the word of God, uh, making it central to worship, um, even literally centered uh, in the worship chancel that the pulpit became the, the centerpiece of worship in many cases. The recovery of the word of God. The insistence that preaching always be a part of the service and even the translation of scriptures into the languages of people. This was a contribution not only of the Reformation, but of Martin Luther himself. He translated the Bible into German. That was one of his lasting contributions uh, to the world, we might say. And yet, when he preached his last sermon... In 1546, not 30 years after uh, the 95 Theses, he's, he's encountering a people just as bored with the Word of God and just as enamored with other kinds of experiences they might find. Uh, just as much there as, uh, as in any other time. But here's what he said. In times past... We would have run to the ends of the world if we had known of a place where we could have heard God speak. But now that we hear this every day in sermons, and he meant every day, by the way. There were daily services. Now that we hear this every day in sermons, we do not see this happening. You hear at home in your house, father and mother and children sing and speak it. The preacher speaks it in the parish church. You ought to lift up your hands and rejoice that we have been given the honor of hearing God speak to us through the word. Oh, the people say, what is that? After all, there's preaching every day, often many times every day, so that we grow weary of it. And so Luther says, all right, go ahead, dear brother. If you don't want, to hear, want God to speak to you every day at home and in your parish church, then be wise. And look for something else. In Trier is our Lord God's coat. In Aachen are Joseph's breeches. And our blessed lady's chemise. Go there and squander your money. Buy indulgences and the Pope's secondhand junk. The la that last section, what he's referring to, is relics 
that can be found in all kinds of places, and people would go on pilgrimages to go visit those, hoping that they would encounter some miracle by being in the presence of Joseph's britches or any number of other things. And it's not so different in our day, although we don't have evangelicals chasing down Joseph's britches, but as I said, you'll have people who will travel all over the place to hear about the, the, the latest supposed uh, move of God, and in some cases, you know, maybe it is. But it doesn't matter for some people what the manifestation is. They'll flock to it, would, would rather spend 10 minutes in the presence of some, uh, you know, wildly miraculous sort of encounter rather than appreciating the word of God that's been given to them uh, in multiple translations in their own home, uh, in their church, and so on and so forth. And even go into places, and you know the stories, of when um, supposedly the Holy Spirit is really moving and people are barking like dogs and making animal sounds and crawling around on the floor. Maybe this makes people uncomfortable because you have been there and been part of that. But see, that would be an example of something that isn't grounded in the scriptures at all. You can't find justification for that in the scriptures. But there are people who would give authority to that and the voices behind it because it appears to be supernatural and miraculous. My exhortation to us is to ground all of our expectations in the scriptures given to us by the spirit of truth. And that we evaluate all of our experiences in light of the scriptures given to us by the spirit of truth. And, and, and brothers and sisters, we can actually find some safety in that and really some rest in that. That as we go along and we talk about uh, applying and employing the gifts of the spirit, when we talk about uh, walking in the spirit, and, and, and walking with an openness to the Spirit and that sort of thing. Um, we, can, we can walk in great liberty when we know that as a people of faith, we are going to expect that all of that happen in a way that's consistent with what's in the Scriptures, that we're going to evaluate that together. And that, that even when the, there's the possibility that we do overstep or get out of bounds, bump up against the rails, so to speak. That there's grace in that, that there's no surprise and shame and condemnation in that. But there is uh, still the resolve um, to ground all of that in the word of God given to us by the spirit of truth. Everything the Holy Spirit does uh, every, every work, every authentic work of the Holy Spirit will be consistent with the truth that he's already revealed in the scriptures. And so what that says to every one of us is that we need to be students of the word of God. 
We need to be students of the Word of God. I know that I'm talking to a room full of students of the Word of God. And I've said before, I mean, one of the great joys uh, I've had at this church over the years and before I became pastor was teaching Bible study classes and I could come to class and I, 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 could, ha- I could come with three good questions. And, uh, and, the, and the class was full of so many scholars. I mean, they, they, everybody is sitting in the room could teach the class and people who really know the word of God. In some ways, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. But what, but what I'm also preaching to is a generation, if you will, a time in, in, in our history when the church has, has a looser and looser grip on the scriptures and a greater, greater infatuation with extraordinary, subjective, personal kinds of experiences that will lead down uh, wayward paths and lead to all kinds of... Um, destructiveness and yet if we ground if we ground our expectations and our experiences in the truth we can walk there with great confidence um, in fact I, I here here's the uh, here's the parting thought I'll give you a little uh, word picture to attach this to or just a picture to attach this to because the idea somehow of of the work of the Holy Spirit being bounded at all seems contradictory or or wrong somehow um, to people. But again, it's just bounded by what the Scripture says. And and I was going to say that the, the power of a canon lies not just in the cannonball or the gunpowder but the fact that it is fired through the constraints of a barrel. That is, the cannonball is bounded by the barrel. And it is more lethal because of its boundaries than it is just by striking a match and lighting gunpowder on fire. And so the power of the Holy Spirit... Um, operating freely and openly within the self-imposed constraints, if you want to call them that, that he's uh, revealed in the scriptures and stuff. There's great power. There's great power in that. And there's great freedom and liberty in that. Uh, Enough said about that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace toward this church. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, testimony of your great power that's moved in this church. And Lord, we do want to see you move in powerful ways, freshly, as we do expect and hope and ask that you are going to move powerfully in our nation and in our city, that you're going to Uh, ignite a great revival. We want to be part of that and we want to be receptive to all the ways that you would work. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make us a people unified, not only in our openness to your work, but in the insistence that we ground ourselves in the truth that you've revealed 
So Lord, would you give us a unity in that regard? And then Lord, would you have your way among us? In Jesus' name, amen.